0: to let you know it is so encouraging to be able to get together and really whether we're in person which it is delightful to see faces to see eyes masks it doesn't matter to me how you're here I love it and to also know you online are attending making space to come and do that is so encouraging so thank you so much to all of you for taking the space and making the time to to be together it is it is just really good Um, If you are joining us online, we do want to remind you that one of the places where we really recommend you do that is at our online platform at www.onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. Uh, it's got some really cool features there, Bible notes, uh, online chat, a uh, way to connect uh, with our uh, prayer team, and lots of good stuff. So it's just set up to facilitate a really cool online experience. So if you can, go there, or if you prefer, go there. But if not, we're just excited that you're joining us. So whatever way you're doing that, uh, we are we are thankful. Um, I don't know about you, uh, Sometimes you just have uh, weeks that feel like they're sent to kind of I don't know if test is the right word, but like dig like weeks that feel like they're they're trying to dig at you or trying to weigh you down. Um, and this week for me was it was kind of like that, but it, it was just such a full week. There were so many things going on, lots of them lovely and delightful, some of them really hard but but I found throughout the week myself just feeling like. You know, even if you're carrying a lot of good stuff, it just starts to feel like, oh my gosh, how can I carry all this stuff? Um, and so, for our prayer this morning, I want to read a, a poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, called Who Am I? Um, and, and he wrote this when he was in prison. Um, For those of you who don't know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a pastor in Germany uh, leading up to and during World War II, and he was uh, captured because he stood up to the the Nazi regime, um, and uh, and they imprisoned him, and he he died in prison. Um, So, but this is one of his poems, and it's called Who Am I? Who Am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of or am I only what I myself know of myself restless longing and sick like a bird in a cage struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat yearning for colors for flowers for the voices of birds thank you birds thirsting for words of kindness for neighborliness tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O oh God, that I am thine. Let's pray. Uh, God, I'm just gonna say thanks that, uh, that we are yours. Help us hear from that place of nearness wherever we're at. Um, that, that we are yours and you are with us in all the things we're going through. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, we are in week six of our Lenten series, and um, where, uh, you know, we, we've talked about Lent being the, the kind of the springtime of the church, and it's like this process of a seed being planted in the ground in the dark uh, it's changing and transforming there's roots extending there's, there's you know the the stem is extending it's going to break through the earth into um, the the sunlight of Easter into the sunlight of the resurrection um, and and lent is set up to be a time where there are practices and things we do where we devote kind of ourselves to to that growth process um, and one of the reasons why I, I wanted to read Bonhoeffer's poem is it reflects a very kind of Lent-ish, if you'll let me make up a word, question. Who am I? What are the key factors or the key sources that I use to determine that? Is it outside myself? Is it inside myself? Is it both? And it's in this springtime for our whole persons that we try to facilitate movement in answering questions like that. So that when we've, when we've struggled with those and we can bring those into the light of Jesus, something amazing happens. One of the quotes we've used for several years is that Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant and empowered people emerges. There's something delightful in that, to know that these questions and these things that, that are really challenging and overwhelming, and, uh, and yet at sometimes there's great delight in the process, but when we can sort of break into the resurrection of Jesus, sort of, sort of break into that sunlight, um, those, those can be transformed. In this series we've been in, we've been calling Again and Again, and, uh, and the basic gist of it is just acknowledging that in the world, we encounter things again and again. We encounter brokenness. We encounter distance, we encounter separation and isolation. And lots of times in that we cry out, oh God, how long, right? One of my favorite U2 songs, there's a chorus of how long are we gonna have to sing this song? Even if it's a good song, how long do we have to keep singing these songs? How long do we have to keep encountering these things? And the thing we find in scripture is that God, there's a response to that, that God again and again says, I am with you. God again and again says, I choose you. I love you. So God again and again breaks the cycles. I was so encouraged a few weeks ago when I shared with with you all some of of my own process, some of my own voices that I hear sometimes. You know those voices that say, you're not good enough, you can't do this. And it was really weighing heavy on me. And, And after the service, I had so many people just encourage me and just say, you know, just nice things to me and kind things to me, right? And and it just helped me again to realize that being together is so good, right? And God spoke through you, so, so thank you, and thank you, Jesus. But today in this again and again series, we're gonna be looking at courage. Like, what does it mean again and again to lean into courage in these times? And so we're gonna be looking at a passage from John Uh, This is John, um, oh, good golly, what's the passage? I know the verses, 12 through 19, could be chapter 12, could be chapter 11. Anyways, uh, so it's John chapter something, verses 12 uh, through 19. Uh, So I'm going to read it, the verses will be up on the screen, uh, or uh, if you at home, you'll have to sort of run through um, your Bible to try to find it there, or you can just read it on the screen, but... uh, and if someone gets it here, shout it out, and, and, and we'll make sure we get it. Um, but here we go. It says, "The next day, the great crowd had come for the festival uh, that had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel!" And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And this is describing what is often referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry. He's entering into the city, and it's him as he's heading. He's now into Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross. He's arrived in the city. And it's talked about in all four Gospels, um, and it's, it's this big, big moment. Um, and for some of us, uh, Frederick Buchner uh, compared this to watching um, the video of, of John F. Kennedy before he was assassinated, the ride in the car. And he said, every time I watch it, even though I know what's going to happen, I always hope for something different. I always hope, like, uh, I, I hope that... Somehow the car moves out of the way or something happens that changes it. And so there's this weird thing where you watch it and you can see how everyone is celebrating and it's this, this great moment. And then it's not. And, and, and for, uh, for us, there's, there's a similar thing. Like it's hard for us to often get into the celebratory aspect of this because we know what's coming. We know what Jesus is headed to. But this is a moment where people are celebrating and proclaiming that Jesus is the king. And and they're putting all their hopes and all their expectations into that. And they are really delighted that he is here. And so this story has a weird tension in it. The question that is being asked here is who is king? The people are proclaiming that Jesus is king. They're using Palm fronds to make a tunnel for him. And they're laying down their clothes in order to mark the path. Sort of like rolling out the red carpet. And as innocent as this seems, it's actually going to cause a lot of trouble. Because during Jesus' day, there was this guy named Pilate who ruled over Jerusalem as a Roman governor. And Pilate's superior would have been Caesar. Caesar. And Caesar thought of himself literally as the son of God. He believed that he came from heaven to earth. He wanted people to be aware of his power and his place. And so they had these propaganda sort of moments, these sayings of the day, right? Caesar is Lord. There is no name under heaven by which people can be saved other than that of Caesar, right? He was referred to as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And even this statue of him right look at how he is portrayed there are other statues of him that i look at and i'm like i don't think these are even the same person right but but they're trying to to push a certain image of caesar right they have a 12-day celebration of his birth that they refer to as the advent of caesar and there are these coins that have his image on them with all kinds of these sayings and the coins that are up on the screen now they have the phrase on them dictator for life which basically means like ruler forever. These are the kind of things that were circulating about Caesar. And Pilate is responsible to maintain all of this attitude about Caesar in Jerusalem. Now, throughout the year, there are a couple of times when a bunch of Jewish people would come together. They're scattered, right? It's called the diaspora, the Jews who don't live in Jerusalem. And they would come together for these festivals. And one of those is Passover. And this is the time of of year that it is. And some scholars estimate that up to 200,000 people would have been there for these festivals. So, So the city is full. Now, the festival of Passover is going to be particularly stressful for Pilate because the Jewish people are gathering and remembering and celebrating when God heard their cry and delivered them from slavery under an oppressive government. And so, Pilate's got to know they're an oppressive government. And when the people are celebrating a time when God helped them escape from and basically uh, get out from under an oppressive government, and it went really bad for Egypt, if you remember that story. That would make me nervous. I think it made Pilate nervous. And so what Pilate would do is right before Passover, he would have his own parade. And he would come into the city, and there would be this huge eagle the symbol of Rome, and it was stating that Rome and all that it is is coming. Then it'd be followed by a group of Roman soldiers all decked out in their fighting gear, carrying shields and swords that had etchings of Caesar on them, depictions of all their military conquests. This is basically their way of saying resistance is futile. You need to remember who we are. And if you you know that Star Trek reference, it it had a feeling like the Borg. Whenever the Borg show up in Star Trek, everyone just goes, "Uh," like, it's so overwhelming. But then Pilate would ride in on this huge stallion, another symbol of strength, power, and military conquest. It's all about power and domination. And the message is to say, don't even think about it. Don't even think about rebelling. So we have Pilate entering Jerusalem in this parade from the west on a stallion communicating war, power, domination. Jesus comes into the city on the opposite side. So like, they'd be facing right at each other. Jesus was on a donkey, not even his own donkey, a donkey he borrowed, which... Interestingly enough, it's not uncommon for rabbis or teachers to request a donkey to help them get around and do stuff, but it's a very different thing because when you have the pilot riding in on, a, on this stallion, it, it, it feels like this is the stallion I ride into war on. Jesus is riding on a donkey who, who knows, he doesn't even know, right? It's not his donkey. And it's tying into a passage from the Old Testament in Zechariah 9, Uh, verse 9 and and John alludes to this where it says see your king comes uh, to uh, the righteous and having salvation gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey right and that's the part that's connected to in the passage but one of the things that I always think is important is when you go and do those cross references where you see that someone quotes something right I always want to go and look up what's some of the surrounding text is there something more right is this really just so we know Jesus is coming in on a donkey, right? Is it just for that or is there something else? So if we read right after that in uh, Zechariah uh, 9, 10, it says, I'll read the whole thing. See, your king comes, uh, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. And so yes, the donkey fulfills this aspect of the prophecy. But when we read that next verse, there's something amazing that I think is going to happen. And it's a reference to another spot too. In Psalm 72, uh, at verse 8, is the he will rule from sea to sea and from uh, the river to the ends of the earth. And if we go back and look at that psalm, it's a psalm that's talking about the, the Abrahamic promises of, of a. God says uh, through the the lineage of Abraham, it's going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. It's going to be blessing to the nations and that that's going to be fulfilled through the just, righteous, and international rule of the Davidic king. So Jesus, in using Zechariah 9, is saying that his coming means that God's plan of bringing blessing to the nations, and I would expand that out to the cosmos, is going to occur in and through him. And that this reign is going to be known for peace between people and blessings for all. And so on Palm Sunday, it's not just about a donkey. It's not just about a humble king, although it is about that. It's not just about protest, although it's about that. But it's also about the kingdom of the Son of God. And we even see this in the Pharisees and the way they talk about it. They don't say, look, a whole bunch of people followed him. They say, the whole world has gone after him. Theologian Esau Macaulay says this about Palm Sunday. We remember the events of Palm Sunday and the clearing of the temple. Uh, he's connecting these two properly when we allow our hearts to be captured by the vision of the church as the place where the nations speak peace to one another and worship the triune God together so when we look at this whole situation there are two ways that are put before us we have Pilate coming into Jerusalem from the west on a stallion ready for war scared nervous feeling defensive so he's got to flex his muscles and posture he's got to show his strength and let everyone know that he's the man and don't try anything we have jesus coming to jerusalem from the east on a donkey on a borrowed donkey with this whole idea of not just peace but that weapons are going to be taken away and broken Jesus' statement here could not be more clear my kingdom couldn't be more different than rome my way is the polar opposite of Caesar and Pilate. And so there are two ways to enter the city, the way of Pilate and the way of Jesus. Now, I have said today, and, and, and many scholars think, that, that one of the primary parts of this is an act of protest. Protest against empire, protest against systems, protest against Rome's work of dominating everything and anything, abusing and dehumanizing people. But I want to be clear about something. Everything that Jesus does is protest, every movement he makes every glance of his eye, every tear, every drop of blood, every laugh, every smile, every step forward or backward, every breath, every heartbeat, every thought or emotion, anything that happens with his physical being, his emotional being, his spiritual being, his person is an act of protest because Jesus stepped into a fallen and broken world as the incarnation of God. God became flesh. God became human. God didn't play dress up. God didn't put on sort of a cloak of humanity or pretend to be human. Jesus became one of us. So much so that God was born, went through all the process of growing inside another human being in his mother Mary and was literally born fully human and fully divine. And so Jesus, as he moves through this world, through this broken world, is bringing protest in everything he does. An unceasing protest against the lies of the devil that are often expressed in the lives of humans. What does that all have to do with courage? Well, again and again, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus on a donkey. Jesus riding into whatever space we're in, whatever mood we're in, whatever moment we are in, both as the humble king in protest, protest of the systems and the powers of this world, maybe also protest of things we're doing, whether individually, collectively. So right now, as you think about this story, I don't necessarily, the, the, the tendency I know for me when I think about this, so I shouldn't speak for you, the tendency for me is when I read this story, I always go, yeah, Jesus, you're protesting those things that I don't like. But as I've been getting ready for this moment today, that's not how I felt. Because I, I can't have these moments where it was kind of like, yeah, Jesus, let's go. Let's ride into the city. And I felt like I'd look and Jesus would be sitting there and I'd be like, how, how come we're not doing the thing? Like, we're not riding into battle and doing that thing. And Jesus kept sitting there on his donkey. It's kind of annoying. But the sense that I got was because The sense that I got was Jesus saying to me, Greg, there's actually some stuff in you that I protest to. It's not... And he did it humbly. Sitting on a donkey, no war horses, no banners. I'm still not sure what all those things are but I do sense Jesus in peace, right? Because as soon as I felt that, then my response was kind of like, well, I got I to gotta posture up to Jesus. Like, and then I'm like, what am I thinking? That doesn't make any sense. But I feel myself get defensive. I want to defend myself. No, I'm right in this, really. And so as I think about what this passage is about in terms of courage, is that we need the courage both to be the people who are coming out and proclaiming Jesus is king, right? When I, when I read that passage and when the people are shouting, right, and, and I wish I could do it justice. There was a gentleman named uh, Bill Akers who's a, an actor and I, and I saw him acting out this and when he cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. I've never heard anything like it. It was. It was had communicated such honesty, like Brian talked about. As, as, as we say, Hosanna! It is God saves, but but we're also, in a sense, pleading. Like God, come and save. Like get get us out of this. Get get this changed. So this sense when we when we say that. So we need the courage to join with Jesus. We need the courage to say, okay, Jesus, what is it? What is it then? What is it that I'm doing that you are protesting? What is it that I'm doing that rides into town like Pilate, looking for control, looking to flex, looking to be right, looking to dominate? How can you show me something different? In this situation, there's no way other than courage to engage. So we lean in to courage. We lean into Jesus. We lead into, into the things that we're thinking and believing, and we and we move forward. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to, to, come, to come up in just a second. They're going to lead us uh, in, in a kind of an instrumental moment um, so we can reflect on a couple of questions that I'm going to ask. And really, it's a time to reflect on anything that's, that's going on from the service or your life. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's much more wide open. Um, if there is something that you feel like you'd like to share with us out of that time, if you would take those connection cards that are here on your seats for you that are here and, and online, um, there's some available on our online platform. If you're not there, but you still want to communicate something to us, you can text us or email us uh, also. Um, and then once they're done with that, we'll, we'll, we'll finish with a song um, and, then, uh, and then a benediction. I do want to let you know, too, as we're moving into this, the prayer team is going to be available again to, to, to be there for you with anything you would need or want prayer for. Um, so please, uh, please utilize that. It's there for you. Um, the questions that I have today, um, and, and I, to be honest, I really struggled with, with, uh, with this sermon because I, it, part of me wanted it to be really celebratory, upbeat, and I just couldn't escape this other aspect of it. And so it, those, both of those are there for us, right? There's, there is the, the, the joy and the delight we can feel from knowing we have been courageous and the Spirit's empowered us to, to see these things and to walk with Jesus um, but then it can feel heavy on the other side when we feel like, oh, we, there is something that, that Jesus is trying to redirect me on. And so, so both of those are open. Um, but the questions, they go all the way back to the beginning of our talk today. Um, the first one is, who are you today? Um, and what is shaping that sense of identity? Um, one of the, uh, the things, I'm, I'm taking some classes at Regent College in, in Vancouver, B.C., And one of the things they're talking about is, um, that, uh, there's a lost sense in our world of what it means to be human. Um, and, and there's a continual movement away from, from that. Um, and, and this has been fueling some of this question for me and, and I'm finding as I ask people, lots of us, we don't know, we don't know who we are and we don't know what things we're allowing to shape that. And so, um. Uh, and so I think that's kind of where I want to start with our questions, is who are you today and, and what are you aware of that is, is shaping that? Second, what areas of your life do you sense Jesus present in? And how is he present there? Um, you know, sometimes we have areas where it's like, ah, I just really go about my stuff and I don't really, I kind of know Jesus is there, but I don't really think about it. But, but what areas are you aware of in your life where Jesus is present, that you, you sense and you know that? And how 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 is he present there? And then lastly, what does it look like for Jesus to be present in your life or in these areas of your life riding on a donkey? I actually found um, putting that image in my, in my brain of Jesus riding on a donkey um, to be really helpful um, and, and, and just sort of trying to wrap my head around what that was all about, but, but trying to see Jesus riding, you know, just sitting on a donkey right next to me, um, yeah, I found that to be amazingly helpful. So, so allow your imagination to kind of, you know, to kind of move and, and groove around that. Um, and then uh, tied with that is sort of what does that then, all the things we talked about, the, the, the Jesus being on a donkey and everything it symbolizes, um, what does that stir up in you um, about those areas that he's present in? So let's pray. Uh, and then again, we'll have uh, instrumental time for you to ponder these things and, and other things, and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. God, I am deeply thankful for friends and family to be able to be together with um, and, and to ask questions, to look for where you're at, to, to grow, um, to not just read the same story and just let it kind of be, um, but to ask really, what does it mean that you did this, that you, you rode into Jerusalem in the opposite way of how Pilate did it. And that you didn't give a big talk on it or anything in that moment. You just just did it and you lived and you were with people. And What does it mean for us to to live and and rediscover what it means to be a human being? Um, Yeah. Yeah, so Lord, I pray you would help us. I pray you'd help us to... To be able to discover and know uh, who we are and the beauty of that. And then in that process, God, as you ride in on that donkey, Jesus, redirect us in places we need to be redirected. I I pray for us, Lord, that we would have an eagerness to be redirected uh, when when we're off track. That we wouldn't hold so tightly to the things we believe that we couldn't be redirected um, when necessary. Um, And so, God, yeah. Help us in all that. Um, Yeah, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.